Hello folks, welcome back to the RLS podcast. We are on episode 86. I have remembered this time I checked before I before I came on. And um we are we're here with a man that I've I've met a couple of times. Um most recently, I think it was just back in when was that? No, was it just just October? Um down at Murrayfield. And um he's a man with a, a really interesting story, um, a really good guy. And the only thing I can say is that the last time I heard him speak, I walked away with a hell of a lot of emotion um, off the back of it. And it was uh, it was really hard hitting and it really actually changed my the way that my mind works on a daily basis. I'm, I'm not even like exaggerating when I say that, like that really hit me hard. So we're going to hear a little bit about that story. Um, so, uh, yeah, mate, nice to have you on the podcast. How are you getting on? That's an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me on. Uh, all good. Um, yeah, I think this week is been my most challenging week of the year so far um ill meant to be doing the marathon on sunday i've got ligament and tendon damage on my left ankle so apart from that i, I mean as you probably coach your clients you can only control what you can control so i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna let it affect me too much but i'm you know i'm happy uh happy enough anyway yeah mate i, I actually forgot to introduce you there mate like who are you <laughs> <laughs> okay so i'm kieran sabora i live in north london uh, I was brought up in Enfield and still live in Enfield, which is like the northest, northest part. For most people listening back, they won't know where it is. So let's say White Hart Lane in Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I probably live maybe a 20 to 25 minute drive from from there. Um, for me, growing up in Enfield, I my dad is from Mauritius. So he came over in the 1960s. Uh, my mum was actually born in Canada, but she's half English, half Irish. So I've had a good mix in terms of... Uh, you know, growth and culture when when growing up and had uh, a life where I got to experience, you know, a, a Hindu background as well as obviously a Christian background. Um, I was actually christened as a child, not that I practice it anymore. Um, I'm more of a person who believes in energy and spirituality. Uh, for me, um, you know, growing up and falling into coaching, I would say just I knew I was always going to work with people, whether it be in some capacity of coaching or I knew it wasn't going to be in an office put it that way and then yeah for me uh to where I am now um you know I guess the growth and evolution of Kieran has come from life experiences circumstances childhood I've got to know myself on a, a deeper level even deeper obviously since the accident which I'm, I will delve into um and yeah it shaped the man who I who I am today which would be uh, a loving genuine caring kind compassionate empathetic human being which i hope will only improve and i hope people can grasp that and take that from from myself as well so really in a nutshell that's the very small amount of what who kieran is um but i'm sure people will get to know uh me in a little bit more depth as we as we go through the conversation yeah thanks mate and um i think the question i wanted to ask you as well is like how, how did you fall into this job because I know for myself, I I definitely like I wanted to do something in regards to sports and coaching of some sorts, but I didn't ever foresee myself being here doing this online coaching job. Um, what about you? Yeah, exactly the same, mate. Um, I, I think as you grow up, you, <laughs> for you probably the same as me. I wanted to be a football player. Um, you know, playing semi professionally and and playing well, you you know, you, you realise at a certain age that's never going to happen. So you start to think about a career. But for me, uh, I got into sport, actually, funny enough, through a negative uh, kind of context. I was actually bullied as a as a kid for being overweight. So between the ages of 8 and 12, um, I wouldn't say extremely overweight, but I was definitely uh, overweight enough to be bullied. And then for a year... Bearing in mind, at that point in time, my mum and dad lost lost all their money, and we had to downsize in house. There's, I've got three other siblings, two sisters, one brother. Um, so obviously, you can imagine the strain on what the household was. So, for me, I had to essentially <laughs> rob my lunch every day from Greg's chicken and bacon sandwich swiped off the, sh the shelf, spend forty p on an ice cream donut, so I never got clocked stealing the sandwich, and I'd use the rest of the two pound fifty because my mum would give me three pound a day for the lunch money to go to the gym that was my first experience of the gym um i would run on a treadmill for 60 minutes at just one pace and then i would use every machine in the gym once <laughs> like i said to joe 
that that was uh, the definition of AMRAP and I didn't even know about it. Um, so as many reps as possible, one machine, one set, and uh, probably 500 setups to, to finish with. And you can imagine uh, how quickly I must have saw, saw some results at such a young age. So by the age of 13, after about six months, I was probably one of the skinniest kids in school, which I loved. Um, but I kind of developed an eating disorder at the same time because I would go home from the gym, throw my dinner in a bin, feel completely guilty about it knowing my mom and dad don't have much money at all to barely feed us and eat a, a, a one Maryland cookie and then that was it um I guess that was the start of realizing what um hard work and and exercise and sport could could do for you and I was always a sporty kid um but obviously you know I think for me it was like the insecurities at that age stopped me from really excelling and it was only when I really actually felt physically good did I start to grow a lot of confidence in in sport as well yeah I mean it's, I've done I've seen a lot of parallels between like yourself and like the journey that I went on as well and you know what mate it's this it's almost the same for every kind of male coach or personal trainer that you speak to there's always something very similar that happens when they're younger I remember our local gym used to just go out and just my main goal in life was to max out the tricep pull down just the only thing I cared about. I seen one guy do it one time, and I was like, "I need to do that." It took me about three years. I eventually, did like one rep, and I was like, "That's it. I've completed the gym." <laughs> but it is funny how that that insecurity and that facet, like just the obsessiveness with improving your body so that you could fit in, was the thing that just motivated you, it, unhealthy or healthy. Um, I was certainly in that same boat. No, definitely, it's um, you know, I think everyone gets into exercise or or sport or something through essentially a trigger. Um, something has to spark you into action. I'm sure most people listening back to this who have goals physically, you know, they're either from a place of pain or they're exploring something that they want to do a bit more of. Um, you know, it can either come from skill and a passion for something or, as you know, it can come from being in a, a place where you don't want to be. Yeah, I think pain's the thing that gets, as you said, like it's the thing that gets you started pretty much ninety nine percent of the time. It's very rarely like I'm going to just do this for a jolly because it's because it's great. It's usually because some sort of thing deep down is pushing you to do that. Definitely, and you know you find as well like most people who actually probably in shape physically when they were younger, um, or like physically active, are the ones that tend to struggle later on in life because you know not having to work at a young age and they get to like in their twenties and all of a sudden they start to see a, a shift and change in, in their physical side. And you, you can't, uh, you can't get away with it for, for that amount of time and continue on when you're in your mid twenties, eating the way you was and doing the things you was when you was a, a teenager. Yeah, mate, 100%. Um, so in terms of what you do, like I think most people have gathered, like it's, just, it's pretty much the, the same thing as me in regards to like coaching, personal training, um, but what what's your kind of what's your focus right now with with the people that you work with in your program? So I try and give my a, a program around uh, accomplishments and achievements. People, I still obviously want to get people a physical result because you know that builds self belief and gives them the the kind of platform to go and attain more and achieve more physically. You know, in terms of like if they're running a five k, if you're doing that two stone heavy. And obviously losing that two stone, you'll obviously run it a lot quicker. So those kind of things. But we we do a lot of like in-person events where like we've done Ben Nevis, Nodonia, Tough Mudders. So we do a lot of community-based stuff uh, alongside the actual program in itself. And obviously just before the podcast, we were talking about niche and how I'm kind of going to change it slightly. Because since my accident, um, you know, I'm really enjoying just doing challenging shit for no reason just because you can and what it teaches you. And I think that's the kind of notion I want to go with with regards to where I kind of want to niche down and not essentially going for go-getters, but it's more people who are like, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can achieve a bit more. And they just let that belief or don't have that kind of roadmap in front of them and just need a bit of guidance. So there's a lot of things I want to do moving forward. But yeah, as a, as a most PTs, you get in general population first, losing body fat, start to realize no i can coach a bit better than this i can do a bit more um i can give people you know a, a better platform to to kind of propel themselves from and, and guide them in a better way and as we learn as coaches you know our programs and and coaching evolves with it so yeah i think for me at the moment that's that's where i'm at 
I think it's one of the most satisfying things as a coach is actually bringing someone in on that kind of pretense, like, oh, I just want to lose a couple of pounds here. And you've maybe, I could speak for like loads of my clients and they've maybe been with me a year or two and then they've got to this stage of, I just wanted to lose a few pounds to, holy fuck, like I'm doing things I never thought were imaginable, like two years, one year down the line. Um, that's one of the most satisfying things I've got out of being a coach anyway. I think, I think that's where that's where people have that misconception of what coaching is because they're all like, you know, they will think you do the same thing when really and truly we all have our skill set as coaches. And like you said, when people come in, they, they come in for the initial surface level goal and then they take away a lot more. Yeah. They take away, you know, life changes, their relationships improve, their self-beliefs improve. They start changing their careers. They start changing the way they see the world. They start becoming more self-aware and just being, an overall better human being, which is, you know, the trickle effect of what some, some good coaching can do. You know, obviously we know <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of shit out there, but you know, we were once uh, what I would call shit coaches and we've, uh, you know, built the platforms and, and the programs that actually really do make a real change. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the, you just need to think of like, well, let's imaginary Janice who like didn't think she could lose five pounds and lost five pounds did a half marathon, did a marathon, blah, 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 whatever it is, like that self-belief that like leaks into every other part of our life about what she can and can't do is so different from day one to day 100. It's, uh, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, mate, I, I don't want to jump straight into your, the whole kind of story, but like, <laughs> yeah, what, like who were you before that? What, what was, what was different? If we don't even speak about what happened yet, like who were you before that and what was different? I guess for me, um, I've always looked at life in a in a simple way. Um, I've always wanted to to be better and do more. Um, I guess sometimes you get caught chasing the carrot as well. Um, and we get this fast paced life, essentially what I call the matrix, where everyone's doing the same shit, uh, going after the same things. Um, but rarely do we ever get time to kind of slow down and and really like be one of ourselves and and just start to understand the world from a different concept so I've always been quite a deep thinker um I've always questioned absolutely everything um any world event anything that I don't seem quite sure of I question it but I also on the other end of the spectrum was probably too naive and gullible because because my word is my word to most people and when you experience certain people in life who are who take the piss out of you I had to learn the harsh way uh, through certain life experiences where, you know, people take advantage of, of your good nature. So for me, like I've never had ill intentions. I've never been a horrible person. Um, there was one stage when I was a kid where you, if you get bullied, you almost become a bit boisterous and bullyish yourself. So a few dumb things that I regret when I was a kid, but most of all don't really have any regrets in, in life whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it was like, I really love challenging myself. And like I said, doing hardship for no reason, the cold plunges, cold showers. I love meditation and breath work. Um, I love doing things that exert a level of um, kind of physical challenge that takes your brain into like a another gear almost. Like it's your brain telling you, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. And it's that little push, that, that adrenaline rush, that feeling. And then once that event's over and you've achieved something it's that high and i love chasing that high and don't get me wrong i know we can get it from instant gratification the sex alcohol drugs money and food um but i want people to see what that high feels like when you can keep pushing that level and just breaking through those glass ceilings bit by bit so for me like as as a person before the accident um i just love pushing myself and and trying to take myself to that to that next level because I know what that can do as a coach I, I know like as I'm progressing and I'm not stagnant as a person there's a lovely trickle effect to people around you and it's just getting people to understand that as well and you know even more so since the accident that's you know I'm seeing that that is a, a real big factor we can have this impact on people that because we when you think about it, it's not just coaching like it's a, it's an energy transaction. It's not like people handing you money for just a result. You know, these people are learning from you and they're, they're taking a lot. And what you, what essentially you teach them or we learn off our coaches and mentors and stuff like that. It's like a, 
an amazing like trickle effect down the tree. And if we can, if we can be like that, it's actually like a beacon, if not, not put it in like a cringy way. People, people feel that. So for me, it's like when I was when I was younger, kind of knew I was different. Like my whole family weren't into sports, all smokers, sometimes weed. <laughs> um and yeah, no one went to the gym, no one was fit or healthy, no one focused on good food. And I saw everything I didn't want to be at the same time. And then that really pushed me into to that direction as well. So I was the first one out of my siblings to go to university and you get to experience different cultures and meet different people. And I think that really helped shape me as a person as well. Um, and yeah, when I actually got into PT in 10 years ago, I knew this is what I want to do. No, you just know. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love helping people. Like I love doing people's uh, nutrition plans when I was in the gym, even though I wasn't qualified yet. And I love seeing people get results. So I was thinking, no, nah, I'm going to make this a, I'm going to make this a career. I actually really enjoy this. So yeah, and like that was that was pretty much me uh, as a person as a person before. Yeah, man, that's class. And I think the the little point you made about like the almost having like that snowball effect with the job that you do, like it can't be understated. Like, don't get me wrong, there are personal trainers who are personal trainers and they do sessions and that's all they do, and that's that's totally fine. Like that's almost like a different thing, but not to like overstate like what I'm doing right now. But I think it's pretty important when you actually are able to get like even five, 10 people in a room, like even 50 with like one of these events that we've been running. Um, I just, I just had to pinch myself when I seen like, I got 50 people coming to my event next week and I actually had to pinch myself. I was like, regardless of what you say on the day or how well it goes, you've managed to get 50 people in one room under the name of your, your old personal training kind of little business that you, you had a few years ago. I was like, fuck, like, that is that the snowball effect you can have with that sort of group of people is ridiculous. No, definitely, man. I think I think even for you, you're just like sometimes when when you are coaching, you're looking at the impact you're having, and you know you've got a room full of fifty people that you've brought together through your influence, your kind of um, positive stance on on life, and you know people because people buy into people don't they they buy into you as a person and obviously you know when you've got a great community and people see the benefit of having that sense of belonging uh but also you know it's not just a sense of belonging oh let's go and i'll go on a piss up it's a sense of belonging like fucking how everyone's pushing themselves and, and trying to be better and i think that's the that's the thing that most people would misconstrue about online online yeah. coaching or remote coaching is the fact that you're not just joining a you're not just joining a program because you're an individual and you're you've got all these set targets. That's part of the process, yeah. Um, but when you fully engage, and you'll have those clients that won't they won't fully engage and they won't get involved in the community side of things, and I think they're missing out. Um, and obviously, when you have your event, you know you're going to have that connection in the room that you, you just can't get in most places. You don't, you can't, you can't even explain it to a lot of people. They won't understand it. Yeah, no, I mean that's true. Um... So yeah, mate. I suppose we then go on to the the story, mate. Like, how how did it happen? How did it come about? Like, I know I've I know I've heard the story, so let's pretend I haven't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mate. How did that come about? So I try and I try and uh, explain it in a way where people can kind of visualize it. Obviously, you was in the room with me as I explained the story. We had a bunch of slides, so it was a very visual kind of talk as well as as well as just a talk. But I guess for people listening back. It was basically in Morocco in February. I was uh, climbing in the Atlas Mountains. I was basically with one of my friends and I wasn't actually meant to be there on that Tuesday uh, afternoon. I was meant to have flown home the day before, but my friend lost his passport. So I ended up going out to Marrakesh on my own. Uh, I'd done the Atlas Mountains already, but a completely different part. And then when he came, we I extended for four nights. And on Valentine's Day, we, we decided to, to go up the mountain. So we was about four and a half thousand feet up uh, let me paint a picture for you if you imagine like almost like clay stone loads of snow uh iced over waterfalls beautiful look like beautiful place um there's like gray skies a little bit of snow a little bit of rain here and there and me and my friend were going up in a pair of shorts and i went adios odds where he goes <laughs> so you can imagine it's probably not the safest as well 
Uh, so we got about four and a half thousand feet up. And on the descent, uh, we saw a little plunge pool down to the right. And we was like, can we go down there and, and use it? So the guy, he was a good guy, he's funny. Um, he went down first and all good. And then as we're making our way down, Krabby, my friend, is about two meters behind me. First, he kicks the rock and hits my ankle. And I'm fucking old, Krabby, and I calm down. Um, and literally about 10 seconds later, he screams my name. Like, he, he can't, I can't even, like, describe the kind of way it sounded. He, he, like, obviously, he just screams danger. So I turned around. As I turned, and luckily I did at the time, where the boulder hit me on my head, this... 150, 200 kilo boulder comes out the side of the mountain, smacks me in my head. In Krabby's words, the blood splatter all over the snow. He like literally thought I was dead from the first impact. So after hitting me on the head, I tumbled down probably about 20 feet, as Krabby describes it, like two, you know, two doorway kind of height, um, like two doors on top of each other. Um, as I got to the bottom, where the path was, the boulders actually rolled down the path and roll towards me so i've had to sit up and almost bear hug it to stop it crushing me completely obviously i was losing consciousness at the time as i saw it coming towards me and obviously adrenaline kicks in and all of a sudden like you're wide awake again and you know despite obviously the collision on my head and blood pouring down my face i've got this massive boulder <laughs> just on my lap um and i can only describe it as if you can imagine uh two very big broody men standing on top of your stomach and private parts and pushing your lower back into these rocks that's all i can describe it as um i've managed to like some way or another move it to my right side and i was fortunate enough to have this little rock just under the inside of my right knee and it was stopping the boulder from snapping my knee backwards completely I think in the process of moving it to my right side is where I broke my hip and I pissed, um, sorry, not a hip pelvis, my iliac crest, the bone come clean off into the side of my body. And I pierced a wound there that would later on obviously cause a lot of um, more problems. So they've come down and they're trying to push this rock off me and they can't move it for love nor money. They've got to push it another way. And I was like, no, no, you're actually going to snap my leg. So I've set up with them. I said, right, on the count of three, we're going to push. So count down to three you managed to prop it up maybe like three, four inches. And I've managed to drag my leg out from underneath it. So at this point, I've laid back. Uh, my friend Krabby's taken his rucksack off, put it behind my head. And he, I literally remember his face as my eyes just went black, could not see a thing. And I'm thinking, am I my eyes open right now? Because I was thinking, or just, do I just not have control of my eyelids at this point in time? So I asked Krabby, are my eyes open? He goes, yeah mate he goes why what's wrong and i was like i can't see a thing so obviously he, he's just seen me get hit by a boulder blood splatter everywhere he's seen me get crushed by a boulder now he's seen me looking up to the sky and i can't see a thing so god knows how traumatized he was by that let alone obviously what happened to me uh, to myself so i'm laying there and the only thing i could control in that moment and it's funny because what you learn through doing hard shit for no reason came into use the cold showers the cold plunges the breath work the meditation and i said to myself if i panic here i'm gonna die on this mountain i'm literally gonna die so i literally started doing breath work i started doing seven seconds in front nose seven seconds out i thought it's cold it's like two three degrees up here i've just in my head literally envisioned how far we've just trekked up how long it's taken and looking at the terrain and thinking what can who can come up here to help me and in that moment i'm thinking i'm gonna die here like this is gonna be the place i'm 31 years old and i'm gonna die on this mountain in morocco and <laughs> there's not many thoughts you think of whatsoever you don't think of much at all you will only think and I, like I see it as a gift now, but uh, before when it's happening, it's like gut wrenching. You know, your heart's in your stomach, and you're you know you're thinking about who you're not going to get to say bye to, and their faces are coming up in your head, and you're thinking about what they're going to think, and 
you know, they're going to mourn your death and you're, I was worried about them. I wasn't even worried about myself. I was just worried that if I go, I don't want to leave that scar, that wound behind and people never be able to get over that. And it's funny because I was thinking in my head, you know, would I die happy today? And I would, I would have said, yeah, and I've done a lot of good things in my life. I appreciate everything that I've been through. And although there was a lot more I wanted to do, and obviously we'll discuss this later on. Um, yeah, you just, I was, I was at peace. I think being at peace, being at peace and having like the tools of breath work and being in, putting myself into like cold environments stupidly sometimes um, and meditation and understanding the mind and, looking at biochemistry what's going on from a neurological standpoint i think where i where i've done that work i actually genuinely believe it's probably part of the reason why i'm here and it's definitely part of the reason why i probably lasted until people were up to me um but yeah moving on to the the kind of next stage those are the kind of thoughts and feelings that i had but you know every problem you have in that moment gets instantly erased you don't think about fuck all, nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing, nothing matters. Don't care about your home. I, obviously I cared about my dog. <laughs> I cared about my family. Don't care about, you know, uh, the business you're leaving behind. You don't care about the possessions. You don't think about anything else, you know, apart from, you know, am I happy and who am I leaving? And yeah, it's it's surreal. It's, it's, um, it's a strange place to be, but it's also like very awakening at the same time thinking, well, that's what really fucking matters, isn't it? Really? Nothing else. And then, yeah. So eight villagers checked up. So two and a half hours later, these eight men who I'm actually running the marathon for, um, raising money for them so I can go back next year and just give them something quite substantial compared to what they and what how they live is like a third world country one guy was in flip-flops for christ's sake i've been up a mountain um so yeah eight villagers checked up obviously not a word of english and you know i'm conscious I, when i saw them it's actually funny like when i when I'd stopped the breath work my body just started convulsing completely and i had no control over it shakes beyond belief like makes me like oh, think, think about it it's just horrible um but they managed to wrap me in two rugs um tie me in rope put me on this makeshift stretcher and you would not believe the pace at what they were going down but the pain was indescribable if you imagine i thought i'd broke my back i thought i'd paralyze my leg because i i could, couldn't feel it but luckily for me i was like I can wiggle my toes. That's a good sign. Um, just about. And obviously, you know, I'm not sure what's going on in my head. I was thinking, fuck, am I going to have brain damage? I'm going to have internal bleeding in my brain. The collision was, I can't even describe it. But they got me down. My friend, he said he was laughing because he goes, I could barely keep up with them. If you imagine they're holding a body and then he's sort of coming down behind them and they're going that fast. So they rotated four and four. Um, every time they rotated, they're grabbing parts of my body. I'm just like in agony. Like some sometimes as it changed, I'd have to scream because it was just so painful. But they got me down to where the ambulance was after two hours. I opened up the rug. I looked down and my cream shorts are just completely red, like where I'm losing so much blood from my hip, which I didn't even realize at the time. But they thought I've like popped a testicle, but it was obviously a split in my in my testicles where I had to have stitches later on. Um, police are taking pictures very quickly just to obviously log everything. Throw me in the back of this ambulance. No word of a, no word of a lie, right? It's literally like an estate car. There's no equipment. My my foot barely fit in to the ambulance. So you're screwed if you're over six foot because I'm about 5'10". Um, and yeah, the ambulance was where it got really scary. So we've gone to this village hospital and I feel myself just losing a lot of blood in my hip um where the rugs around me now and obviously my body's heated up the blood loss is quite a bit more rapid than it was on the, on the mountain where it was only you know two three degrees so the guy who they take him into just literally took one look at me and he held his hands like this and was just like 
what do I do? And he bloody put oxygen on me. I said, I don't need this shit. <laughs> I need some, I need some pain, I need, I need some morphine. So he's managed to put something around my head, patched up my hip a little bit. And they sent me on my way to, to go to Marrakesh back to a private hospital where they've got all the CT scan and MRI and stuff. But on the way there, I was, if the only way I can describe it, if you imagine someone was just holding a bottle of water over your hip and every now and again, just pouring a load down your hip and it literally could feel it going down my groin. Um, and I didn't realize how bad the blood loss was until I asked my friend Krabby, I was like, listen, I can probably hear it dripping on the floor of the ambulance. Like, can you just tell me how much blood I'm losing? I said, because I'm starting to feel my stomach empty. So he goes to turn around. He's wearing a cream jacket, bearing in mind. And he's just got this massive blood patch all over his arm. So I bled through two rugs, probably, you know, half an inch to an inch thick each. And yeah, I just knew it weren't good. So in that very moment there, I'm thinking, right, I'm probably about half an hour out from Marrakesh. And I'm thinking I'm not going to make it. So in my head, I'm revising the words I want Krabby to say at my funeral because he's the last person who's seen me. And I'll give you like a a small part of it. I was literally going to tell him, no matter what, just make sure that you say (laughs) Kieran was, was happy. Just say I was happy because, you know, I've, whatever life's thrown at me I've, i still always look at it as a blessed life you know i don't look up at things i i should have or want or and need to attain or you know be ambitious for i always look down as well i always appreciate where i am um and you know obviously there's a lot less fortunate people than us a lot less you know of course going on across the world now so yeah i just wanted to get that point across to him and as i was about to say all these words to him i just something just stopped me i felt like almost got like slapped in the face like someone covered my mouth up and she said stop and i think if i if i said it and been given up it's like my body would have known yeah. that that's it. at that point that's that's the point where you, you, you just after seven hours of pain and blood loss and you know god knows what trauma at the time i was just thinking i'm just not gonna make this and i just stopped myself in that moment i said come on half an hour just half an hour more you can hold it in half an hour and even Krabby was like trying to say, you know, should I tell your parents, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, no, no. Don't, you, you're just going to panic people. I was like, we don't know what we're dealing with. So just don't call anyone unless we're in a hospital. <laughs> One that's dealing with what I've got. So you get to the hospital, uh, probably a little under eight hours, maybe seven and a half hours, eight hours. And they will they willed me in. The first thing the surgeon said to me, he goes, what do you remember? I was like, everything. And he basically like, said something in French, like, oh, my God, in French or Arabic, I can't remember what it was. And apparently it, it, I looked it up later and it was like something like you poor boy after. Um, and yeah, they would be in, they'd done the CT scan, the MRI, started patching me up. And I just met, all I remember being on that morphine was I just wanted water. I was like, just give me a sip of water. My mouth was so dry. There's so much pain. And I just wanted to be fucking put to sleep, for being honest. I'd, I'd rather than done all the scans and everything being put to sleep. So they've done all their scans and everything. And he's they've ruled me into the x-ray. And as I'm in the x-ray, he goes, look, um, good news. You've not got any bleeding on your brain. And I can see he's about to say something else. I was like, and, and what's the bad news? And he goes, but you've got internal bleeding on your on your abdomen. So obviously where the, the rock was squashing me. So I, I was like, how bad? And he was like, he goes, we don't know until we get into surgery. And I was like, how dangerous? He goes, in his French accent, obviously you've got a language barrier. Ah, you may not wake up. <laughs> so obviously the last thing I hear before being put to sleep is I'm not potentially going to wake up. And, I, and at that very point, the amount of, um, I guess, adrenaline, the amount of pain, the amount of kind of struggle you had to go through in that eight hours, I was just like, yeah, I just put me to sleep. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I just need to be out of this pain. And then, yeah, next day I woke up. They patched me up, successful surgery, stopped the bleeding. And um, yeah, here I am today, still recovering, nerve damage still and loads of imbalances. But I mean, I'll take anything from uh, from being in that position. Yeah, but it's, it's hearing it the second time around, it was, it was still just like so as engrossed, mate. It's just a crazy story. 
Um, it's just fucking crazy how you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But as you've kind of said, like when I heard you speak about it the first time and when I heard you speak about it now is that like what you actually got from that. And it's like, in, I know most people will really find it hard to think of it this way, but like there is a blessing behind it as well. Um, yeah. And you've, you've gained so much from it from obviously hearing you speak. So yeah, mate, like what, I suppose there was a one point you made and I was, I was thinking something in my head is like, I remember doing a task a while back with my clients at my first event where we wrote down all our like highest values on a bit of paper. I went, we went through a kind of different steps to get there. Um, and it's not something a hell of a lot of people have done in their life. Like they will have never really thought about that too hard. Um, yeah. but I suppose when you were in that moment, like it was, it was almost done for you in the click of click of your fingers. Like everything that was your highest value was brought right up to the top of your mind and everything that was just kind of, really just wasn't as important was was down here and um i don't want anyone to have to go through what you went through to find it to find that out but i think it is really important that people do figure that out what is actually important um so yeah mate what, what did you figure out through that whole experience like what did you find that figure out that was important i want to put it in a way where people get it because how i think and what i felt um, it's hard to articulate in words. So we have, it's almost like someone's put muck over your eyes. Yeah, because even when you sit down and write down your highest values, you're thinking in the same thought processes of normal day life. So essentially the life we live is, we're also forced to live this life. You know, I'm pretty sure if, the world didn't function in uh, a very specific way with governments uh, having to attain money to live a certain way. Everyone would be very, very different. Even if you look at the the five blue zones in the world, I don't know if anyone's read book, Ikigai. Um, obviously, there's a Netflix series on it and as well now. A place of Okinawa, it's like people who live you know, past 100, these centurions that have this sense of community and love and connection and always helping with their families, have amazing communities you never really realize it like until something like this happens to you. And the meaning of life is not to have more. It's to be more because we, we get caught in this process of being human doings, do this, do that, do this task, get this done by this time, be here at this time. You know, for parents, wash their kids, cook the dinners. And, you know, you get stuck in these routines and these habits and these mundane um things that you believe you have to do um and sometimes i you know i have to really talk to myself these days you know i'm not this perfect person because of what's happened to me still have to remind myself that i get to do these things they're things that are blessings they're things that i i can i can do because i have the ability to and people rarely ever stop and just allow themselves to be and that's who we are we're human beings we're not human doings um, and we get caught in life and this is where I believe that people really struggle mentally I think the mental disorders and mental health of or the breakdown of mental health is due to people not really realizing what their values are there's this loss of identity there's this loss of who they really are I'm pretty sure if most people sat down and said right who am I or someone said to you who are you what would you say and most people can sit there and be like I don't actually know and, you know, we live life with labels. You know, people start saying, oh, I'm a coach, I'm a parent, I'm this, I'm a sister to brother to this, um, I do this for my career. And that's not who you are. That's just the life you fell into, the choices you've made that essentially you've, you've now embodied and identified yourself as someone who does this. When a life event, if the life event was to completely change you as a person and you wasn't able to do your career anymore. You wasn't able to do certain things that you've done before. You know, can you handle that? Because you've identified yourself to be something that you're not because that's just something you do. It's not as part of your being. And most people aren't aware of like, you know, of now, like who you are today and what you do is, is based on the circumstances that you have. But the person who you are, who you actually are at your core is there every day. You just always forget who that is. And most people live a life where 
they've become something that the world's made them rather than doing because if you look at what everyone does everyone wants to be better everyone wants to have better ambitions aspirations get the better career have the better body so that's who you really want to be but we live this subconscious personality we live something different and no one wants to be overweight no one wants to be uh have poor energy no one wants to be a horrible snappy impatient evil person like people don't want to be that way unless you know there's some level of insanity psychologically <laughs> for some people but that's a very small amount of people no one wants to be that that way and because they start to identify themselves as being certain things they embody those behaviors and they act those behaviors out in what they do and the frustration every single day is that they know they don't want to be there and if you can just take a sit back sometimes and really realize and this is really what this whole bloody I can't even let me what to call it experience um <laughs> what it's taught me is you're exactly where you need to be if you know it and for me it's just about being a better human being what makes me a better human being you know can i make someone smile for no good reason can i buy the person behind me in the coffee shop a coffee can i do something good for someone like can i influence someone in a positive way can i give someone my time can i inspire someone to be better and if you can go with these thought processes not be so sucked in to your downfalls and who you're not and who you want to be you'll actually start to benefit a lot more from it because you know as we always say like people don't remember what you say they remember how you made them feel and if you can feel good by making someone else feel good and vice versa you probably act on a lot more things knowing that you're not in a state of like this negative uh kind of emotions and I've what I realized the most is like how to detach from thought because we get sucked into thinking. And you know, when people say, I'm an overthinker, we don't ever hear anyone say, I'm overthinking positive thoughts. You're not <laughs> you're not an overthinker because you're thinking negative thoughts. You're just someone who's addicted to negative thoughts. You create this chaos in your body and you get almost addicted to it. And it's like you don't know anything different. And what I've realized is like those thoughts and these feelings and everything I've had happened to me since then i just sit there and see if i can observe my thoughts okay where are they coming from you know what's the truth and what can i really do about it and if it's nothing can i move on if i can do something about it what is it what would be that next step and i think for me it's just it's like i still have to do because that's the life we live but i'm also very good at taking myself back and and just being a little bit and you know even for you, Ryan, like before you probably coach people from your own map of the world and we get frustrated with clients saying, why can't they do this? And why can't they do that? And, you know, it's not that hard. And then I think for me now, it's like, what is going on in this person's life that prevents them from doing certain things? Like what is their thought process? What's happened in their childhood? What's happened later on in life? You know, how do they think? How do they tick? And you start to you start to look at things from their map of the world. And I just think sometimes if we if we can do that just as normal people, like someone triggers you and they, they're rude to you and get angry to you, don't get angry back. <laughs> just think, why is this person angry? Yeah. Like, you know, because your own uh <laughs> your own sanity and your own if you keep driving all these negative emotions every single day, and if you keep um allowing things to surface your own frustrations and anger because you know for instance just as an example because i was spoken to a certain way when i was younger when someone else speaks to me that way it'd be a trigger whereas now it's like i can sit there and and not not have the need to to bite back and it's just a reaction from a feeling that comes with it within and when i actually realized that well that's not me as a person i don't want to do those things allowing myself to be more lately has also allowed me to live more calmly less stressed and even like this week okay i'm meant to be running a marathon sunday i've now got ligament damage and tendon damage on my left side i've woken up with a cold i've had an infestation of bed bugs and what can i do you know the cold's not going to go overnight my ankle and tendons and ligaments they may heal by sunday they might not um what can I do? You know, should I sit there and get frustrated about it, let it ruin my day? 
and allow my day to be ruined affects my clients affects who who i'm around no like it just is what it is and obviously being in the situation i was before i never want to go back to walking on crutches for five weeks and hobbling into the gym and losing two stone and being like a 17 year old boy again um so it's perspective life is perceptions and and perspective and if you can learn to change and manage it and observe your thoughts you'll you'll learn to be a bit more rather than just become this this human doing all the time yeah mate that's a that's amazing the way that you've put that there and um and i remember obviously messaging you after the event about how that kind of that made me feel because i think the year that i've just been through like it's not been the worst year in the world by any stretch it's actually been an amazing year but the year started off pretty pretty rough with like my my fiance having a couple of health problems needing an operation and there was a point at that where we thought shit this could go like horrendously bad and only at that point did that because the last three years of my life have been full steam ahead with everything that I'm doing here with this business and I've found myself like being only like like the nine to five athlete Ryan starting personal trainer and that was just like me full steam ahead and I think this year has then allowed me to really pull back on that and like still I'm still working hard there's no doubt about that but it's allowed me to you know what this whole year I've actually been what you would probably class on paper as the most boring bastard ever but it's been because (laughs) I've not been needing that mad impulsive thing happening at the weekend I've like been so much more comfortable in my everyday life and I think when you produced this talk at Joe's event it helped me like attach not a label but like it helped me understand the way that I was beginning to feel and actually go you know what that's I'm, I'm actually okay with that like it's good that I'm enjoying like the everyday monotony just that little bit more like it's, it's more than good it's actually it's brilliant like it's it's what I never thought I would have in life and it's what without kind of brandishing the population as like having some sort of negative like I know so many people really really struggle with that especially in like a small town like where I live, I know a lot of people just, they need that spike of dopamine at the weekend to actually make life worthwhile. And I think that people shouldn't have to, and I said this already, go through what you've went through or maybe what I went through this year to actually step back and understand that there's so much more going on in your life that's important to you. It's hard as well, mate, because you obviously see like on Instagram or social media, success 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 and you know people listen to a lot of podcasts these days and you find it's uh influencers and billionaires and millionaires and sometimes i feel like when i listen to these i feel like at the same time especially like the guests they bring on as well is this is people who've been millionaires and billionaires for some while and i feel like they lose uh i'm not going to say humbleness but they lose the concept of what struggle was and they mold it into their own ideology of what struggle is now. And for me, like this is speaking to everyday people. And like you said, you know, you live in a small town. So people don't have that kind of um, influence around them. And even you like being able to do that in a small town is a phenomenal thing, but because you put yourself into the environments that allowed you to see, Oh, this is possible. I can do that. And obviously you could be, the the real change of what people see in your own town i'm sure you're having that kind of impact on your own clients now and i think for a lot of people is you know whether you're succeeding now or you feel like you're in the worst place in the world it's a learning to love chaos because really and truly no one ever told us life was going to be easy so why did any of us have that expectation why did we life isn't a game of more 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 it's a game of expectations it's a learning to manage your expectations to a given circumstance. If the circumstance always matches the uh, expectation or the event always matches the expectation, then you'll never be disappointed. It's only We're only ever disappointed in life. We only feel negative when we believe that we should have something more than we do or we should be doing something more or we should, um, should have more. And the problem with that is your expectations, <laughs> it's like when people are younger, kids always have big dreams but they lose those big dreams when they see life's reality. And it's not that you can't achieve those big dreams. It's just your expectations never match the events. You always thought it'd be a lot easier. And we, and we realize that, okay, well, I'm actually going to have to work hard here. I'm actually going to work nine to five. I'm actually going to have to do 40 hours a week. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to start on a lower income. That's not a bad place to be because so many people have to do it. The problem is you see where you want to go and you get, you get this negative surge of feelings thinking, well, my life's shit. I'm doing 40 hours a week. And this person I know is working half that time and earning and going here, there and everywhere. And all of a sudden, all that does is just create that, that expectation that life could be that. And I should have that, but I don't. And that's when people get sucked into, um, and don't get me wrong, like we've all been there. <laughs> I've been there. I've been, I've been there many times. I've even been there after my accident. Oh, like I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And I'm like, no, Kieran, relax. Um, and like you said, this this year, despite being your hardest working year, um, you've managed to find the enjoyment in it. And like, you don't have those um, impulsive actions or behaviors on the weekends just because you're gaining a lot of fulfillment of what you're doing. And it's not that you're being boring. Maybe actually that's who Ryan really is. That's what you really want. And maybe what you was doing beforehand isn't you, isn't the things that you wanted to do, but because of what you're surrounded by, your friends, you know, what's socially and culturally accepted in your background, being up in Scotland and being in your town, maybe you got sucked back in and maybe this year you just realised that's not who I am. And that's when people will start to... Um, start to learn i think as we know you know environments are probably the biggest thing for creating long long lasting change if you don't have a good support network around you people don't people aren't on that journey with you they'll obviously uh they'll make comments and they'll say things i mean i've had it before i'm sure you've had it before and we always say like things like you changed well yeah like we have changed of course we have (laughs) i wouldn't be able to do what i'm doing now if i didn't it doesn't mean i'm a um different person altogether but people will comment and maybe people who listen back to this you, know, you have certain people in your life saying like, why don't you want to have a drink on the weekend or why don't you want to eat this and why can't you just have one more and really it's you know it's projection of like, their own insecurities onto you seeing that you're essentially being more disciplined and and just seeing a change in you yeah. so i think you know i think her uh, I think when we're looking at attaining more, achieving more, is it is it disappointment through not doing something or is it you just didn't manage your expectations in the first place? Yeah, no, that's cost me. I think someone said to me a couple of weeks ago in like a sort of jokey way, it was like, oh, mate, you, you've changed. And I was like, thanks, I'm glad you've noticed. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you've made that observation. I would be worried if I hadn't over the past few years. Um so yeah, mate. I suppose to to finish on, um, like what what's next for you, like in your in your recovery, and what's next? I know you obviously got the marathon this weekend if all goes well. Um, but beyond that, so uh, for me, this year was a about me. I think if I didn't spend more time on myself, um, it probably more. I don't see it as a selfish thing. I call it being selfishly selfless. If I put my knees ahead of everyone else, everyone gets the best version of me. And I even put like the program on hold and taken new clients like six months, didn't take on any new clients. And even now, like I'm still not itching to take on a lot more people just because I am still in recovery. I'm still, I'm still healing. And I'm learning this new Kieran because I had changed. Like my identity has shifted and changed because of what's happened. It's a, it's a life changing experience. And, you know, values, gosh, you know, business and accomplishments was high, high, high. And I almost feel like it's been the the seesaw effect where, you know, family and friends and time being has shot up to the, the top and business and and personal goals have kind of shimmied down a touch. Um, but the marathon for me is, is part for me and part for who saved my life. Part for me is the physical breakthrough i don't feel like i've had a breakthrough until i do something for me which was like really challenging and trust me like i ran a marathon last year and running this year is is probably about 30 times more challenging um and i think next year like i've traveled a bit this year i'm going to thailand in december um i would worry about the money i've earned compared to the money i've spent whereas i don't really care at the moment i just learned that well i've done it before i can do it again um money doesn't define what who i am or what i do 
and I want to see the world. I want to experience things. And sometimes I believe that doing those kind of things gives you the space and the clarity to think outside of your usual life, taking yourself outside of your box, um, seeing new people, being in new spaces. I think for me, like I'm just going to be in this exploration phase for a while. I'm not too fast. I've got no rush. Um, I'm going to enjoy the process. I'm going to take each day as it comes. I'm not going to worry about where I'm heading or how I'm getting there. And at some point, don't get me wrong, I have to tighten the screw and be a bit more strategic about it. Um, but this year, you know, if I'm going to spend more years on this planet and after nearly losing my life this year, I'm going to enjoy every moment. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit there and worry about or have this, you know, five-year plan that I'm worried about. When I create it, I want to get excited about it. I want to be like, okay, well, I might not get it, but I might. And if I do this and I enjoy these moments, and I think probably that's one of my biggest lessons, Ryan, for people to take is, is it just enjoying moments. Like enjoy the chaos. Enjoy the 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 mundane, monotonous, boring, shit, challenging struggles that life throws at you. Because what else can you do? They're going to be there for the rest of your life. So if you can find peace in the moment and you can find happiness and joy doing those shit things, imagine what you'll do when you know things are going well, when we have those 20%, 30%, what I call glitches of happiness. Um that you find along the way you, know, you don't need to look forward to a weekend like yourself right <laughs> you know you don't need to look forward to a weekend because you're just enjoying what you're doing um and even for people that are doing something that you don't deem that you're enjoying you can find enjoyment in it you can find a way of of you know being in that moment and, and enjoying what you're doing whoever's around you or, or what you're doing in it. and if you do want to change it just enjoy the fact that it's going to be temporary that it's a means to an end so yeah, I think the biggest thing I'd want anyone taking from this podcast is, you know, can you be in the moment more? And when you're conscious, you can't actually have problems when you're conscious. If you're if you bring your mind to the moment, you can't you can't actually have a problem. And then, you know, it's like when they say when you try and think about what your next thought's gonna be, if you keep saying in your head what's gonna be my next thought. Well, you're not going to have a thought either so you know it's like when they say um when people worry about the future or they dwell on the past the gap between future and past is a bridge of anxiety and overwhelm fear and worry guilt shame and if you can learn to bring your your thinking and consciousness back to the very very present moment which is all you have you don't have the future you can leave your front door today and you might not make it back again no one's guaranteeing you that so if you can enjoy those very moments and try to not look at, you know, stop being in the future where your head's going to be or being stuck in the past, then you'll actually be able to make better decisions, which will only benefit your life moving forward. Now, our clients, um, our clients probably struggle mostly because of that. 100% man, that's, that's class. And I just want to finish on this little thing I forgot to chuck in earlier. And you have probably heard of this before. It's a study done by a palliative care nurse. Um, at, she obviously palliative care is like end of life care. I think her name, her name is Bronnie Ware and she was an Australian nurse. And she asked a whole lot of people that were at end of life that were in her palliative care, like the five things that they wish they'd done during their life. And I absolutely love this. And it's number one was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not what others expect of me. Two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Three, expressed my feelings more. Four, stayed in touch with friends and family and five let myself be happier and I think that kind of like ties in like everything we spoke about really nicely today man like it shouldn't take near end of life to actually bring you back to the now um but yeah mate it was been class speaking to you and class to get like another take on this like face to face um that's amazing that those those five points um I tell I tell everyone why what got me through every day when when I was recovering um there's one thing I said to myself I didn't hear it anywhere I just used to speak to myself every morning it literally took me probably about five minutes to get out of bed every morning I had to get my crutches and try and clean myself and brush my teeth I didn't want to get out of bed if I'm being entirely honest and the only I spent like three four hours in the gym just to be there around energy around people not that I could do much and to get myself out of bed every morning I said to myself if I had to live every day for the rest of my life with these current circumstances, what would I do today? And that literally 
<laughs> that got me through everything. Just that thought process alone. Okay, what's the most I would do with my current circumstances? Yeah, mate, that's class. Um, I think a lot of people could use that regardless of what situation they're currently in. Definitely. Mate, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, mate, unbelievable chat. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on.